Hey, this is Jared Krause, host of the Buying Online Businesses podcast. And in this episode, I'm speaking with Chelsea Clark from Her Paper Route and Blogs for Sale. Now, Chelsea has gone from waitress and employee with multiple jobs to an online business owner and blogs broker. And in this podcast episode, Chelsea and I talk about what advice she would give someone wanting to quit their job and make a full-time income online. We talk about what to look out for with bad blogs and what good blogs actually have in common. And then we talk about how to do due diligence on blogs, which is absolutely critical. This section is really important for you to listen to if you're looking at buying a website business. And then we talk about what to think about when buying a personal brand. So buying a blog with somebody else's personal brand attached to it and how to generate EAT, which is expertise, authority, and trust, and how to generate that even when knowing nothing about the niche business you're buying into. And then we talk about so much more, all little things that she shares and some cool things that I share within the episode. And I think it's such a valuable episode. If you're looking to buy a website business, you need to listen to this. Enjoy. Today's episode is brought to us by Niche Website Builders, which is a company a few of my clients are using and have used for content creation and link building services. They do everything from start to finish. So from keyword research all the way to uploading your completed article for you. We've also had Bob members buy ready-made affiliate sites built by Niche Website Builders. So if you're looking to outrank your competitors' content and build better backlinks, Niche Website Builders and I have a special deal for you. Head to nichewebsite.builders forward slash Bob. I'll put a link in the show notes for you. But again, that's www.nichewebsite.builders forward slash Bob. Do you want to start investing in websites but don't want to drop $20,000 or more on your first investment? Check out Odis where you can buy premium age domains to build a website on and add Odis done for you affiliate site package to help you grow your website and get seen. Instead of buying a crummy website that's been built to sell with no authority, buy a premium domain with built-in authority, great SEO, and fresh quality content for your website. Head to odys.link forward slash Bob podcast to check out their great deals. That's odys.link forward slash B-O-B podcast. Link will be in the description too. Chelsea, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you? Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on your show. And yeah, today's going great. Thank you. Awesome. So we got introduced through an influencer program a few months ago, and I didn't even know that your blogs for sales site was around and it's full-fledged and you're selling sites and that looks really, really good, the layout and everything like that. But I wanted to dig into like how you actually got there in a sense, because I noticed that we've got a, we had a similar path where, you know, you tried starting a few businesses and then you, you bought some, I was doing the same thing. You know, I was plumbing by day, spending hours on the computer every single night, like trying to make this, this side hustle a real thing. And I noticed that you did the same, like you were doing this in your free time, but then you're, you're a waitress and a marketer for a digital marketing agency. Like how long was the process to the point where you went, all right, I'm, I can now sort of remove myself from these little, like these, jobs that I'm doing, you know, paid by an employee to a point where mm-hmm. you're making a full-time income online. And I, I would, I like to ask this question because it's, 
it took me a long time. <laughs> it wasn't just like, all right, cool, self-made millionaire in two in 12 months. Like it was <laughs> years for me. But like yeah. how long was the process for you from going, all right, I might idea of making money online to all right, I'm I can now sort of remove myself from the employee world. Yes. Well, it was the same thing. It was not a straight line. And it was many, many years where I had side hustles, where I had startups. I would find I'd use whatever money I was earning from my day job to fund a startup. I was in drop shipping for many years. I even did drop servicing where I promoted services where I didn't actually perform it when someone purchased the service. I went and hired someone on Fiverr to do it. You know, I had all of these little startups for I would say about 10 years. And I wish I had just focused, like I wish I had just picked one and quit my job and went all in. Mm. But it really wasn't until I had a baby that I realized I can't have all of these side hustles. I can't give myself so many backup plans. I didn't want to be able to, or I didn't want to put my son into daycare when he was just a baby. I didn't want to go back to my day job and marketing or my night job in bartending. It just wasn't the lifestyle that I wanted um, mm. when my lifestyle as a mom suddenly changed. And so really, I just had to decide one day, and it was in, actually in 2017 when I decided, nope, I am not going to give myself any backup plan. I'm going to go all in. And I'm just going to focus on blogging. And so that's what I did for that year of 2017. And then at the end of that year, I sold my blog. It was a a very small beauty blog, but I was able to generate income to it quite quickly. It was making about three to $5,000 a month from affiliate revenue. And I sold it for $50,000 when it was one year old. And then that really just propelled me into this business of flipping. And uh, I did have some experience though too, because I was working at a business brokerage before I quit the workforce to focus on being a blogger. So I did have that experience, but you don't really need all of that. As you know, Jared, you just really got to focus and go for it. Yeah. It's that mentality of you going all in. Like yeah. I'm, I was the same where I was plumbing and I like I was in a toxic environment uh, and I was at a, you know, a bad, I created a bad lifestyle for myself on the weekends as well. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I was lucky that I could go away and like save some money from plumbing and travel and reflect back on like my life that I had sort of just followed the path in towards, which wasn't designed by me, unfortunately. It was designed by what I call the funnel of society, which is a, a, a different story for a different time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good to hear that, you know, if you stick to it over a number of years, you can make it happen. And, you know, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, you've you had that experience with a business brokerage and also, you know, digital marketing as well. Let's mm-hmm. we'll touch on that soon. But what advice would you say to somebody that is going, all right, I'm I'm looking at buying my first website business or I'm trying to find some side hustle and online to so so I can remove myself from the you know paid job realm what advice would you give them I would say first of all try purchase something in a niche that you have some sort of personal interest or experience with for your first one so that it's something that you can really use as a practice. You don't have to quit your job right away because the thing is, if you're a first-time blogger or a first-time website investor, there's so much to learn and you do just need to give yourself that grace where you actually have time to learn things and implement and try. And if you can do it on the side of your job, just knowing that your paycheck is taken care of for a little bit, 
that's not a bad thing. It's good to have a little bit of a buffer. And then when you see that income coming in, when you get better at creating digital products, when you get better at affiliate marketing, then it's just going to feel a lot better when you do take that dive and you quit your job and you go all in. So I would just say purchase something that you really have a personal connection or interest to that you can see yourself writing about and not getting bored of, especially if we're talking niche sites, because you really have to find an interest in something to write about the same topic over and over again and make each article interesting. Mm. So that's really my top advice if you're just thinking about it now. The nice thing about website investing too is you get so much more control over if you were just buying stocks. With things like the stock market, you can't control. There's so many things that can change. But where when you are a website investor, every bit of effort that you put in really can come back to you and can help your success. So I think it's great if you're thinking about it, go for it. Just give yourself a little bit of time to really learn. So there's two great things that you mentioned there that I always speak about. One is, you know, you can't add value to a stock or a cryptocurrency or, you know, you can't go away and buy that and then add value. They don't have the potential to add value and you're also competing. It's a it's a win-lose game where you're competing against one another where, you know, if you, if you buy, somebody else may be losing out or if you sell, somebody else may be losing out and you can't control the market. And, the, you know, it's the risk is crazy because you don't have any control or ownership over that. I like that you mentioned that. But what was re- what really stood, stood out to me was like you saying that people should keep working whilst they are looking at, you know, or going and buying a site or, you know, getting one, you know, either started. I've, I prefer the purchase, but like buying one and owning it and growing it. Now, I like to say this as well. Like I back your advice on that because... There's an expense that people don't know that they actually pay. It's called a stress expense. Uh, this is something <laughs> yes. I've been talking about recently quite a quite a lot. And that stress expense is that you, you know, you've got two things, you two resources. You got time and you got money. What you're the resource that you're really spending a lot of is stress. That's your time. And when you're spending time stressing about not having an income because you quit your job. Yeah before you went and bought a business or you you bought a business and then you quit your job and you've got one income stream and it's new to you, that ex, that stress expense is huge and it causes you to make decisions that don't actually, that aren't great evergreen decisions or long-term decisions because you're trying to, you're worried about pulling money out of the business too quickly yeah. and it can be damaging in, in so many different ways. So, Thinking back to your two different jobs, you had experience in business brokerage and digital marketing. Mm-hmm. What type of digital marketing did you do? And what sort of, yeah. what did you take? What did you draw from that digital marketing and use in your businesses now? Yeah, that's a great question. And working in digital marketing helped me so much in my career. And then when I became my own boss, you know, it just really made sense to me. So I actually did go to university for digital marketing and that helped. But really, I learned most things just out in the field afterwards. So I worked in the marketing department of nightclubs and small businesses and restaurants for many years. I was in the events and promotions sector. And then when it came time that I was really starting to focus on my blog, I was working at a business brokerage in the marketing department. And that's where I learned about the brick and mortar 
business acquisitions, mergers. And that's really what sort of like lit a fire in me. And then I went through the International Business Brokers Association and applied what I learned there about the brick and mortar business selling and just applied it to the digital space of selling online businesses. And really, it was about 10 10, 12 years actually of just being out there and trying and working and learning and different working different jobs and every little side job that I had, every marketing project that I had that may have seemed really stupid or boring at the time when I was working for someone else, I realized mm-hmm. later that it really helped me so much because it really just got me on the ladder of the huge space of so much that there is to learn in digital marketing. And when you are working on your own sites and buying a business and growing a business, and like you're saying, adding value to the business, there's so much that comes into the marketing side and creating products and, you know, having campaigns and ads and how much you want to spend to promote your business and so many other things that come into play. So it's definitely helped. But I also like to say, you don't need to have a degree in digital marketing. You don't need to have 10 years of experience to be able to run an online business. Really a lot of things that you can learn. You can actually just learn it online nowadays. You can listen to podcasts like this. There's so many great resources out there to help people that there wasn't 10 years ago. There wasn't when I started, (laughs) that's for sure. (laughs) Hence why we're here. But I like that you said there's so much that you learned through your job that you could apply to what you're doing for yourself. And I believe that's the same with somebody that doesn't have a job that's in the digital space or business space and they're trying to get into business. For myself as a plumber, like I Worked my way through and I was very lucky as a plumber that I went into a supervisory role quite early as an apprentice and learned a lot about managing a job and managing people and managing so many different things. And I drew on that and, you know, implemented those skills of managing a lot of things. And when you start a business or own an online business, you've got a lot of hats to wear, doing the work, being the operator, and then being the CEO as well. I really took a lot from that and put that into my business. And I think there's a lot of people listening that may have had that belief system that the job that they're in now hasn't really provided them the skills that they could use in business, but it's not just the job either. I'm sure there is skills and things that you've learned at your job that can help you with the business you buy, but also just life experience. Yeah, Traveling has been a huge thing for myself and how I manage my businesses as well. And I wanted to ask you about blogs specifically, because you went in and you you started, you purchased a, or you started a blog and then you sold it and then you got mm-hmm. into flipping that route. What do, just for somebody listening, what do bad blogs have in common versus good blogs? And I know we're getting into due diligence and that's a tough one to <laughs> answer, but when you see a business yourself and somebody's wanting to sell it and they come to you and say, hey, Chelsea, I want to sell this blog of mine. Is there a, a type of blog that you're like, this business actually needs a lot more work or it's, you know, it's not something I want to put my brand and bear behind and sell versus one that is good. Like, let's call, we're almost ready to go to sell this. Like, what do you see the differences there? Yes. So such a great question. So I actually decline more applications that come through blogs for sale than accept. And because I really do have a strict guideline of what I look for and anything that we're going to list, it has to be something that I myself would think is 
quality and value and that I would consider buying myself. That's sort of mm-hmm. a threshold that I like to start with. Mm-hmm. So some things that would be considered a bad blog or a blog that just needs more work would be if it has any PLR content. We don't want that. We don't want any content that is not unique. It's not original. It's been copied. It's on another site. We don't want that. So if there's any PLR content, it's going to be hard to sell and it's just not quality, right? It's not original. So that's a big thing. Another thing is the traffic sources. I like to see a site that has nice diversified traffic sources. I don't want everything relying on Pinterest. But at the same time, I do want to see some Pinterest traffic because I know that Pinterest traffic really is valuable. And I know that there is a lot of people that are out there buying that don't realize that yet. They still think of Pinterest as a social network and they think, oh no, this site has so much Pinterest traffic. I don't know if I buy the site. I don't know how to keep up a Pinterest account. And the trick is, the thing with Pinterest is if a site is ranking on Pinterest, we know that it's probably been ranking for a while and it's going to be sending traffic for years to come. So I like to see that. I like to see a site with good Pinterest traffic. But of course, I want to see that Google traffic. If it's not ranking in any search engines, it's probably not for us because we really want it to be active and we want it to have great content, which then leads me into the next thing that I always want to look for is the quality of the actual content itself. A couple articles that are shorter, that's okay, but I really want the long form, like really great engaging content that's really answering search intent. I really want to see content that just is sort of hitting all of those points. It's written from a really engaging, interesting perspective that's really going to answer what people are searching for on Google. So those are the main things. And then, of course, the revenue. We can't overlook the revenue. That is so important. And we want the revenue to be diversified as well. If the site is earning from just ad revenue, Ad revenue is great, but we want to see something else just in case an algorithm change, just in case you know ranking changes and then we lose all of that revenue. We want to make sure that the site also has its own digital product, that it has quality affiliate links. These are all things that just come together to increase the, the asset of a blog when I'm looking at it, whether to buy it myself or to list it for another seller. Yeah, because I think people need to understand that brokers such as yourself that have want to keep a good brand and don't want to sell a dud business to somebody yeah. and destroy not just your brand, but do the injustice to somebody of, of handing on them a lemon. Um, yeah. There's a lot of work that goes into vetting and it's basically like due diligence, not to say that the seller, the buyer should not do their own due diligence, of course, which brings me on to, to my next question. What are the three main things that you would say when somebody who is a buyer looking at buying a blog should be doing through due diligence? Yes. And you can so, have all three, of course, if you want. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Definitely you want to look at the Google Analytics. So adding their email to that, as well as Search Console, so that they can go and they can really see what pages are bringing in traffic and what the actual search terms it's ranking for. Those are important. Going to verify the revenue. So taking a look at if it's Mediavine or Zoic, just seeing a screenshot to see that, yes, the site really is earning what the seller is claiming things like the actual digital products. You probably want to go and take a look, see what that ebook looks like, see what the back end of the course looks like. Mm. Um, those are some really important things that I always look for. I mean, Jared, you have a great due diligence checklist. I have that. I just actually checked it out last week. It's awesome. We have sort of a similar one, but yours is much more in depth. Um, you know, just things like that. That's really what I'm looking for when I, especially when I'm looking to purchase the site myself. Mm. I just want to verify those numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real verification is so important. And 
it's awesome with an online business now that you can get editors access and viewers access to everything that you really need to verify traffic, earnings, you know, you can do that in Zoic, you can do that in all the different, like a bunch of different affiliates, different ad sites, you know, it's so important to do. So bloggers, there's a lot of bloggers that will probably come to you and say, Chelsea, I've built this business up over many years and they've got their brand behind it and they got their face on the business and they want to sell it. Now, this could be a tricky thing. I've noticed that with a lot of my clients that want to buy either blogs or businesses that have a personal brand attached to it. It can be done where people purchase those businesses. And I've looked at buying a business with a personal brand attached to it in a niche that I have you know, skills and leverage in. But it can be tricky for a buyer to purchase one of these types of businesses if they're fresh to the game and they yeah. don't have experience in that type of niche that you know, that business is. What are there some creative ways that bloggers can remove themselves from the face of their business if they want to sell that type of business? And if so, like, do you suggest anything to them? Absolutely. And and that's such an important thing to note because a lot of the time, especially with these content sites, a lot of time bloggers created them without the intention to sell at the beginning. They didn't have an exit strategy. They didn't even consider it. They were just writing from passion and putting their face or their kids' faces on, you know, things like that, that mm. when you're thinking about selling, you're probably going to want to remove that. So it mm. could be as simple as just replacing the image in your sidebar. If it's your face, you could just replace that image with a stock image of someone or just something in your life that isn't necessarily your actual persona, going through the site, removing any pictures of your kids. That's always an important one. I always mm. want to remind people about your Instagram. There might be some things on your business Instagram account that are really more personal that it just doesn't really need to go with the business to the new owner. So doing your own sort of selling due diligence, really what you're going to want to do is just go through and audit all of your content and just see what doesn't need to remain out on the internet if you are thinking about selling. That's what I would do. And we also get a lot of buyers who specifically want a site that has someone's persona on it because they like buying a brand that is turnkey. They like being able to know that they could continue a site as if that seller was still there. Mm. But that's really a personal choice if the seller is okay with that. Mm. And that's something that you work out with your buyer, of course, during the contracts and before closing, just to make sure that everyone understands what can actually be used, what names, what faces can actually be carried over to the new owner. And if it's nothing, then that needs to be put in the contract. And then any of those images removed before you actually send the website. I think that's just a good way to go at it, just being open, discussing with your broker or the mm. person who's interested in buying what's going to work for everyone so that it doesn't get weird after any problems <laughs> afterwards. We don't want that. Take my damn image down. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, exactly. It's a lot harder to ask after the sale yeah. for the new owner to start taking things down and doing work that you could have done beforehand. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned that before, if people didn't pick it up, you know, the seller's due diligence, working out what they want and don't want on the site and what can go to the new buyer. As a buyer though, somebody wanting to buy a business that's turnkey and may have a face attached to it or a personal brand attached to it, how many sellers are actually comfortable with selling a business with their face still on it and not having control of that? In my experience, not too many. And mm. I do not blame them because I'm yep. the same. I wouldn't want to sell. Like I have my own personal brand with 
different companies that I run that I intend to hold on to. So I mm. wouldn't want my persona to be on a niche site that someone else was running. Mm. And that's something I do when I'm developing sites or I've bought something to flip. I'm creating a persona. I'm making up an alias for someone that is the creator of that site. It's not me myself. And so that can just really help. And I feel too, I know that I've worked with a lot of people who bought soul or sorry, bought sites years ago and they their picture is still there. Their name is still being used in emails, but they are long gone from the mm. business. And these are actually big sites that you know that we all know about. And that's totally cool. You can actually probably charge a little bit more if you're willing to sell a certain bit of your persona with the business. Just put those terms out to make sure that how they run it is okay with you. Because yeah, in my experience, it's just easier to to not. Yeah, and so. What about the purchaser, the buyer of that business? They go, all right, I want to buy this personal brand, this blog, and in I want to flip it, say, in a year or two years. Yeah. Do they have the rights to sell that? You know, Is that a negotiation that happens within the first purchase from the seller to themselves that they, if they choose to sell it, that person can still stay at the face of the business? Is that an... Is that a negotiation that happens? I think, or? yeah, we would definitely put that in that first sale contract, mm -hmm. what happens when the new owner wants to sell the business on? Because they have the right to sell it anytime they want. Yeah. So we would just want to make sure that if they do do that, then that would cancel out whatever agreement the buyer and seller of the first sale had so that they couldn't then sell it and continue using the original seller's photo. Yeah. And so for the risk of the buyer, what risks are there if they're buying a personal brand and they're continuing to either be the face of the business, like that they're going to keep the faith, the personal brand, the face of the business, and they're going to be behind the laptop screen and act as that person? What risks are involved there? And then what risks would be involved with the buyer buying a site and then changing the personal brand of the business? Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the biggest risks is really just a moral risk. Personally, mm. I think if someone is running a business as another real human person, but they're not actually in the business, there's just going to be a lot of issues that could come up, such as I can give an example. I mm. purchased a mental health, mental wellness, mental health blog about a year ago, and she wanted to stay on the site. She was fine having her image on it. So I was running the site for a little bit. And then what I realized is everyone in her Facebook group was still sending messages, like very personal messages about the struggles they were having and speaking to her, thinking they were still there. Yeah. And for me, morally, that that just didn't work. It, it wasn't right. I couldn't pretend to be someone else when they're having these real human issues. So I think it's just really something that you have to think about. Like, what is the the moral risk for you? That mm. could outweigh, you know, the time spent that you could be back and forth. Otherwise, it might just not be worth your time. But, you know, I also have worked with people who have sold a site and they've agreed to write one guest post. So their persona still stays on the blog. They get one guest post published a month. Mm. So the readers still see them there. They're still part of the business, but they're not being used as if they're running the whole business. And that's a nice way to make that work, I think. Yeah, for sure. It's a it's a tricky one, right? Because people could exploit this where they would buy buy a business that they're not the face of and they could just end up destroying the personal brand of somebody yeah. else and do it immorally and not yes. really care and you know send out advice 
behind the screen that may not be the best advice for that particular person because they didn't get adequate yeah. information on their background or, or their situation. Yeah, I think it's a very tricky one. And I would say seller beware, really, of like... Definitely. You're going to... The way I see it is as a buyer, there is risk in buying a business that has a personal brand attached to it. And then say if I was to continue doing the writing, which I wouldn't because I suck at it, uh, (laughs) the reader may notice the difference in my style versus, and I can't really replicate the style that the previous owner of the blog did. And that can end up that could end up affecting the performance of the business and the readership and and all that sort of stuff. And I I see that risk there as well. But for myself, if I was buying a business that is a blog and it did have a personal brand attached to it, I would prefer that personal brand removed prior to that business being sold to me to to have proof that that business can continue to run without me pretending to be the face of the business. Yes, I am 100% the same. And so EAT is a big one here as well. So say Mm -hmm. I was to buy a blog that was in a particular niche that that had a personal brand attached to it and they've removed that, they've removed their face of the business. There's not that EAT, that expertise, Mm -hmm. authority and trust there. That digital footprint has kind of been removed and kept with the original owner. Is there some things that buyers could do to boost the EAT of the site and build a bit of a digital footprint for that business so Google and the rest of the web and the world can see that it's actually an established business? Absolutely. And that sort of builds off of what we were mentioning about when you are creating content and buying sites around content that you personally understand or have experience in. Mm. Because if it's a niche that you are already working in, or let's say you're a coach, you're a health coach, and you buy a health niche site, your name probably already has authority online. You probably have something with your business that you already have that you can now put your name on this niche site and it's going to all sort of work together and connect because it's already in a niche that you have authority and experience in. So that's a really good reason, I think, to buy sites that you know, even if if it's just for the first while where you're getting started, there's nothing wrong with buying sites that you, it's a totally new niche. You just want to experiment. That's great. But yes, if we're talking about putting your name on something and the authority side of it, buying sites where you can easily put your name on it and it's in the same sort of concept context that you were already working in, it's going to be a lot easier to just sort of keep that authority and hopefully not lose that EAT authority that has been built up with your digital footprint with Google. So think about what are you, what are you posting on social media? Mm. Is it already related to that niche? What are you being mentioned on? Like what, what is your Facebook group? Do you already have a group full of people talking about this where you are the host? Mm. Have you hosted a virtual summit in this niche? Like all of these little things are just going to look good and help you to continue on the authority of that site. But at the same time, I love working in niches that I have no experience in because it's so much fun to try new things and figure out how to monetize a niche that I didn't understand before and what I can learn and apply to that. So I wouldn't want to make anyone think that they have to just stick with what they already know because the whole point of working online is being able to try and learn and discover so many different things that you can do. So there's no wrong way about it, I don't think. Yeah, I'm a big believer in not having that one way belief system of like, I need to 
do something that I'm passionate about because like you you can find passion in so many different things. Like there was, I hated my job as a plumber, but there was one part of the job that I actually liked. And if I just did more of that, I would have enjoyed the job entirely. And I probably may still be a plumber. (laughs) But (laughs) that said, you can do that in any niche, in any job. And that's why I think any attachment to any niche or or passion can can be scary. It it can be a risk because when we're passionate about something so much, we can put the blinders on and and not see certain things. And what you were mentioning before about somebody buying a blog that did have a personal brand attached to it and and not now and then building your own personal brand and and digital footprint around that, that can be very valuable for that type of business. But what I would see would be great in collaboration would be imagine if that owner, previous owner of the site stayed, not the face of the business, but became an author of the business right? An author of the blog. And then the new owner became another author and there's multiple authors. And then you could get sponsored, you could not sponsored posts, but you could get posts from other people within that niche. And you could have a multiple multitude of authors on that business would would just boost the EAT and the experience of that site because you got multiple authors in that space showing a lot of experience. And I think that can be really valuable growth strategy for somebody looking at buying a personal blog. Absolutely. Yes. And that's sort of what my friend had done when she stayed on just as a guest writer once a month. She just had her author account on the site. It was good for SEO. It was good for the audience because she didn't just, you know, abandon the site. She was still there. She could be in the comments. It was just good all around. And those, yeah, those, you know, other authors can get link backs to their, Mm -hmm. you know, the other stuff. And it just builds this great network, which and it all can all that those roads can link to your website if you're the owner. So I think yes. that's great. Yeah. Chelsea, this has been so much fun. Thanks for coming. Oh my on. goodness. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. I've been so looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. And so where can we send people to find out more about your blogs of sale and any other things that you're going on? Sure. Well, anyone who wants to come hang out with me, you can find me at herpaperroot.com. That is sort of the main umbrella of my business. When you're there, you can find my podcast, you can find my blogs for sale marketplace, and uh, all of the content on my blog there and courses and all sorts of good stuff. And you can also find me on Instagram at herpaperroot. Cool. I'll have links, guys, to the show notes, all of that stuff. So thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you know somebody or yourself that is thinking about buying a website, particularly a blog, please stop, think and do them a massive favor and share this podcast episode with them because there's so many valuable little nuggets that Chelsea shared within here that needs to be shared before you go away and think about buying a blog. So please do them a favor and share this podcast. That's it for me, guys. I'll speak to you soon. 